First Kings chapter number six. Now, for those of you <clears throat> that are students of the Bible, this is in the midst of building Solomon's temple. In fact, you find in verse number one it mentions that this was the four hundred and eightieth year after God led the children of Israel out of Egypt. So, for 480 years, Israel first had no king. God was their king. God rose up Moses to be the prophet and the spiritual, you know, for lack of a better term, the spiritual head of the wagon train, okay, to lead them through the wilderness. Then he raised up Aaron to be a priest to fulfill the office work of the priest and the descendants of Levi, the Levites, they were to serve in the tabernacle of God. Because as the Israelites followed Moses in the wilderness, the place that they worshipped, the tabernacle, was tempor temporary. It was not permanent. It had walls that were made of cloth. Right? It had tent posts and stakes that could be driven in, but also taken up and moved. Now there was a lot of details and a lot of intricacies on you know it wasn't just some ragtag tent that they threw together and put the ark of God into right it was the best that they had to offer but it was mobile okay then after Moses dies God rose up to replace Moses his replacement and as the Israelites finally move into Canaan land they began to receive the inheritance that God promised them. So then they had land. But for a little while after that, they kept on moving and traveling and taking what God promised that he would give. And if you study it out, it's a whole lot bigger than that little sliver that they've got nowadays called Israel. It went all the way from the Euphrates River, that great river, all the way to the border with Egypt. So everything from there. And then a large swatch up and down too. But God made them a great nation. And he gave them the land that he promised to their father Abraham. But then for 480 years, the tabernacle persisted. If you study it out, David, the father of King Solomon, was grieved in his heart. It broke his heart. That God had built a house for David in Jerusalem. The king of Tyre was moved to send great cedar trees. He said, David, I want you to have a good house, buddy. I'm going to give you the best wood that there is to make. And David's looking around at this great house that was made out of cedar wood. And he gets to looking around and he says, how is it that I have a house made out of cedar, but God has a house made out of fabric and cloth? He says, first off, keep in mind, David had spent a lot of time living in caves and on the run and sleeping out under the sky when Saul was after his life. David didn't know if he was ever going to have a home again and then God gave him the home with the best building materials that at the time they knew existed. And he's sitting there and he's just thanking God for the great house that he gave to David. And then on top of that, God promised that he would establish the throne of David forevermore. Well, what throne do you think Jesus is going to sit on when he comes back? The throne of David anyway but David gets and it just overwhelms him and then he realizes 
how is it that I have such a great house as man understands he says but God has no house among God's people he says everywhere God goes it's temporary the stakes can be driven up it can be taken to a different spot he says shouldn't the one that's greater than the king and greater than all the princes and greater than all the world have a place to dwell shouldn't God have a home among God's people so then God allows David to have the burden to collect the materials and to go out and to begin the preparation he goes out and he buys the portion or in the Jebusite's land he goes out and buys that mount where his threshing floor was then he prepares all the materials but God says you can't build it because you're a man of bloody hands he says you are a man of war you're a man of violence he says that's what I raised you up to be he says but you can't build my house has to be built with clean hands David says that's fine by me Lord so then David goes off the scene and then Solomon comes on the scene there's a whole lot going on in between there too but then eventually we get to where Solomon has begun the process it's not finished yet but it's in the works of being built and you find that they were so serious they were like hey we don't want to disturb God's house so everything that was brought to the top of the temple mount it had already been worked with tools there were no hammers there were no saws there were no chisels were no axes everything that was brought to the top of the mountain was already finished and all they had to do was fit it together well you saying that takes a lot of work yeah it takes a lot of work to make two things fit when you can see both sides of it and you've got it right in front of you and you got all the tools right there well how'd they do this through the grace of God one but two they decided that God's house was his house they weren't going to touch it disturb it they were going to make it the way that God said to make it we're going to put it where God said to put it but the rest was up to God they said we're not worthy to build this place we don't want to leave a tool up in God's house because when God's finished with it it's going to be finished he don't need no tools we're the tools right now just to get everything situated and so 480 years after the, the Israelites for lack of a better term had a home they had the promised land Canaan they dwelled in the land that was promised for them they said we never stopped and gave God a place to reside among us and so they built it 480 years later then you go down and you start reading these verses and you'll find that there was the house of God there were buildings that were not attached to it but leaned up against it because they didn't say we're not going to put holes in the house of God to attach stuff to it they said we'll just lean this up against it in other words they made a addition but it wasn't perm it wasn't permanently attached to it well what was that that's where the animals were that's where the supplies were it's where the sheds were it's where the priests slept they said we're not defiling the house of God to add places for us to live if it leaks it leaks right God's worthy of a perfect place if we get wet so be it but then verse number 9 talking about Solomon so he built the house and finished it and covered the house with beams and boards of cedar and then he built chambers against all the house five cubits high and they rested on the house with timber of cedar again they rested up against it they leaned against it and the word of the Lord came to Solomon saying concerning the house which thou art in building 
If thou wilt walk in my statutes and execute my judgments and keep all my commandments and walk in them, then will I perform, perform my word with thee, which I spake unto David thy father, and I will dwell among the children of Israel and will not forsake my people Israel. So Solomon built the house and finished it. Well, verse number nine, he built the house and finished it. In other words, he's putting the finishing touches on it. But to give you an example, when this building was being built, they didn't pour the concrete, and then the next day we put the carpet on top of it. Why on earth would you do that, Brother Jordan? That doesn't make sense. Exactly. You've still got to hang drywall. You've still got to get a whole bunch of drop ceilings in the building. Why would you put the carpet down before the rest of the work's being done? The carpet's going to get dirty. Right? So when it says that he's finishing or finished it, it's talking about he's just putting on the final touches. He's putting on all the accents. Right? He's putting the trim on the altar. Right? Carpet's already been on there, but he's putting that wood trim around the sides. And he's going down and he's polishing handrails. Right? He's going through and he's making sure that all the pews are straight and that they're level. Okay? They didn't have pews and they didn't have altars like we know them, but I'm trying to give you a mental picture. He's going through and he's making sure that all the lights are lined up just to shine in the right spot. But he's going through and he's making sure that everything meets all the things that God said it was supposed to be. It says he finished it with cedar. Again, why, why cedar is so important? Well, first off, in building material, to this day I've got cedar shoe trees that I put inside of my good pairs of shoes. Why is it? One, they wick away moisture. But it's a little steamy in here today. I get it. I'm sweating already. I don't know how y'all feel. Okay. But a little, little humid in here. Doesn't happen with cedar. If this whole room was made out of cedar, it sucks up moisture like nobody's business. Right? It keeps things dry. But when you don't have air conditioning and you don't have refrigeration and you don't have, you know, modern day double pane glass window and you got caulking and everything else, things are done from the outside to get inside that are wet well what's the cedar do? it keeps the things in the house it preserves them okay why do I put them in my shoes because one it sucks out the moisture in them it'll preserve the leather longer but also it'll help the leather keep its shape okay he says that he's you go and study they used cedar for all the main support bears why it's not going to get moldy okay it's not going to dry rot Cedar was known for being strong, but also being durable, and it's going to last a long time. So when he's finishing it with Caesar, or cedar, what's he saying? He's saying, I want even all the fine details to last as long as they can. I want everything about this place to be about preserving and maintaining right, what it is that God told us to build. We didn't build this for a day or for a week. This is God's house. In Solomon's mind, is he's building this. God's going to reside and dwell among God's people in that building for all time until the Lord came back. Everybody intended this to be a permanent structure. So when he's putting these finishing touches on it, he's saying these are supposed to last just as long as those heavy beams up there in the top of the building. Okay, keep that in mind. And then 10, it says, and then he built chambers against all the house. He's saying we took care of the important part. Now we're going to take care of everything that needs to go on around it. Okay, a church building or 
a structure doesn't do anything on its own. Right? The church house isn't any good if people don't show up and use it. Okay, well, in the house of God in the Old Testament worship, you had to have incense. You had to have the, the candlestick, or as nowadays we would call it a menorah. Okay, that never went out. You had to have oil for all of the candlesticks. Okay, all of the showbread that had to go on. Who do you think made that? The priests, the Levites. Okay, then you go on and study it out that David commissioned that in the tabernacle of God that there was supposed to be singing and praising and worship and burning the incense and all the time. Just showing praise and worship unto God. Who's doing that? Well, the Levites and the priests. Well, where do they live? In these things. They built chambers against the house, five cubits high, and they rested on the house with timber of cedar. Right? We want these supports to last, but we're not drilling in to God's house to make a place for man. All that's going to happen on the outside. God's house will be undefiled, untouched. And man's going to be on the outside of it. The animals will be on the outside of it. The priest and the supplies and the incense and all the things going on with man's hands aren't going to touch the house of God. Okay, there's the house of God and then there's everything that we leaned up against it, that we attached to it. Okay, that we put near it, not for our benefit, but for God's. Okay, well, then the word of the Lord came to Solomon saying, Concerning this house which thou art in building. God says, it's not done yet. But Solomon was just putting the finishing touches on it. If he's going around and he's trimming everything, if he's going around and he's inspecting the smallest details, you'd think that it's finished. Right? You don't put icing on the cake unless the cake's good to eat. You don't put the finishing touches on something if there's a problem with the main thing. Okay, well, Solomon's going around and he's putting the finishing touches on something. God says, Concerning this house which thou art in building, if thou wilt walk in my statutes and execute my judgments and keep all my commandments to walk in them, then will I perform my word with thee, which I spake unto David thy father, and I will dwell among the children of Israel and will not forsake my people Israel. So Solomon built the house and finished it. God says, you can build it all you want to, but it's not a house until I move in. He says, you can put all the finishing touches on it, and you can put all the pretty, you know, baubles, and, you know, it, without a doubt, Solomon's temple was the greatest edifice ever built by man, because it wasn't built by the instructions of man. It wasn't built to man's design. God gave him the floor plan. God gave him the building materials. He told him exactly how to do it, and then they went, and they did their best to do what Thus saith the Lord, and God blessed it and honored it. But even though they had followed all the instructions, Solomon says, You're going to be, or the Lord told Solomon, You're going to keep building and building and building and building until it's finished. He says, But it's never going to be finished until God takes up shop, takes up residence inside of God's house. He says, It's not about the details that you're doing right now, Solomon. Now, notice, after this conversation, but God, Solomon still went and did what? He still built it and he still finished it. What's he saying? He still went and made sure that all the details met God's approval. He's going to make sure that it wasn't his fault 
that God wasn't pleased with the house. But God says, it's not about me being pleased with what you built. You really think God was impressed with the building? that Now, man was impressed with it. It was beautiful. I forget the amount of gold that went into just the gold leaf around the entire building on the inside. Right? The giant cherubims that were to guard and to watch over the ark of God and the mercy seat of God. I forget how tall they said that those were. We were impressed with that. We read it today and we think, man, I can't imagine what that looked at, looked like. God wasn't impressed with it. His throne's in the sides of the north. But he's got seraphims flying around his throne 24-7, 365, and for all of eternity, because they have been for all eternity past and will for all eternity future. And they cover their, their heads with two wings, they cover their feet with two wings, and then they fly around with the other two wings saying, Holy, holy, holy. You think he was impressed with the building that Solomon was building? No. See, he's gone to prepare a place for you if you're one of his children. He's gone to prepare a place for you that it can't even enter the heart of man. But he's gone to prepare for it. You can't even wrap your head around what one gold brick on the street of glory is going to be. Let alone the twelve foundations. right? The twelve gates made out of a single pearl. Explain that, Brother Jordan. God's got something a whole lot better than CNC machinery. That's all I know. Okay, that there's a crystal sea, that he's got a throne, that he's going to be the light of the city, and that there'll be no more night, no more darkness. But if he's in the middle, and we're all around him, how come there's not shadows behind us? I don't know, take it up with God. But he says there's no more darkness. No more shadows in heaven. You think God was impressed with Solomon's temple? He comes and he has a conversation with Solomon. And he says, Solomon, you've been building. He says, you're putting the finishing touches on. He says, but this house isn't what's going to make me want to dwell among Israel. He says, I'm not impressed with the building. He says, you've done good. You, did, you followed all the instructions, so I honor it. But he says, this isn't blowing God's mind. God's not going to show up and say, wow, what a great building. Now, he took nothing and made everything. You think you're going to impress him? Spoke it all into existence, and then once he spoke some of it into existence, he took some of that and mixed it with some other stuff, and it made up new stuff. You think that he's going to be impressed with what man's hands can do? No. And Solomon knew that. He understood that. But he also understood that they were going to do it not just to a certain degree. He was going to do it the best that he could because God deserved his best. He was going around putting the finishing touches on it and inspecting and making sure, is this the best we can do? He knew God deserved better. But he said, I just want to make sure we're giving our best. Because that's all we can give. It's either our best or it's nothing. But see, God comes to Solomon. He says, concerning this house which thou art building. Notice he didn't call it God's house. God's house is in glory. He says, concerning this house which thou art building. He says, if thou wilt walk in my statutes, execute my judgments, and keep all my commandments to walk in them, then will I perform my word with thee, which I spoke unto David thy father, and I will dwell among the children of Israel, 
and will not forsake my people Israel. Now hold. If we go back and we study, when the tabernacle wasn't moving, they'd set up shop, and if they did what God said, right, a pillar of cloud would show up and he'd talk to the man of God from inside the cloud. Okay, in fact, God told him. Later, he inspired Moses to write it, that God talked to Moses from inside of the pillar face to face as a friend. But I always wonder, I know Moses wrote that down, but when did God reveal to Moses that Moses was this far away from God, face to face as a friend? The only thing separating him was that pillar of cloud that he couldn't see through. Right, God was everywhere. And Israel didn't know when he was going to show up. But they knew when he showed up, he was going to show up down at the tabernacle. They knew that business with God took place down on the tabernacle. They knew that God would show up at the altar. Where were the altars? Most of the time they was on top of a mountain. Where did God give Moses the Ten Commandments on top of a mountain? Right? Man would have to get just a little bit higher and then God would come down and meet him halfway. God's coming all the way down to it, but he'd get, make them get away to a high place, a secluded place, a private place. Where does God do things? Well, he does things down at God's place. That was the tabernacle. And then he does them in private, and it makes the work known openly. But see, this is something completely different. Once you notice the words that God spoke to Solomon, he says, concerning this house which thou art building, if thou wilt, and we'll get to that, then will I perform my word with thee, which I spake unto David thy father, and I will dwell among the children of Israel, and will not forsake my people Israel. See, when God showed up when they was in the wilderness, he walked before them by pillar of cloud and a, by day and a pillar of fire by night. He is always there. But every now and then, he'd just show up and make his presence known. But see, God wasn't there doing miraculous things, and you couldn't say that, well, the tabernacle was there yesterday, so that means that's where God is today. No, they had to move to get to where God wanted them to be so that God could show up and do great things again. But here he says, concerning this house which thou built, he says, if you do your part, he says, I will dwell among my people. That means never to depart. That has permanency to it. That means, he says, and to ne never forsake right, my people. That means never to leave. Kind of sounds like that promise that God made to us that he'll never leave us nor forsake us. Kind of sounds like how the New Testament talks about that after we get saved, our body is the tabernacle or the temple of the Holy Ghost. He dwells with us. He's not departing. He moved in for good. Right? Well, there was a requirement that Solomon, and not just Solomon, but all of God's people, because if the king commanded it, then the people would have to do it. If Solomon led as a leader, then Israel would follow. And so God tells Solomon, he says, if, if, meaning you have to choose to do it, 
you've got a purpose to do it. But he says, if thou wilt walk in my statutes. There's a continuance there. Walk to follow after. He didn't say walk for a time. No, he just said walk. Well, how long are we walking? Till God says you can't walk no more. Till God takes you out of here. Enoch walked with God as a friend, and then one day God just took him. How long did Enoch walk with God till God said, you're done walking? He took him on somewhere. He was translated. I know he's coming back one day as one of the prophets during the Great Tribulation, but where's he at for right now? I don't know. God took him. But what are we supposed to do? We're supposed to walk till God takes you. He says, if thou wilt walk in my statutes. The statute was the law. That's what God says is right and wrong. That's what God said is uh, acceptable and what is not acceptable. Now, is he telling Solomon to be perfect? No, because if Solomon was perfect, they wouldn't have to do the yearly sacrifice with the lamb at the Passover feast to push back the sins of Israel for a year. He says, walk in my statutes. Doesn't mean that you're going to keep them all, but when you're wrong, you're going to know it because of my statutes and you're going to get it made right. Walk in my statutes and execute my judgments. What's that mean? Well, Solomon said it this way. Trust in the Lord with all thy heart, all thy soul, all thy mind, and lean not until your own understanding. Acknowledge the Lord in all thy ways, and he shall direct thy paths. Execute the judgment. That means not just knowing what's right and wrong, but living it because you want to please the Father. Doing what's right because it's right. Not just knowing it, but doing it. To execute his judgments. Y'all aren't judges that sit in a courtroom and determine the fate of people, but every day you've got a judgment to make concerning the eternal consequences of other people's lives. You get to execute judgment upon yourself that your flesh might be in proper lines so that you could be used of God. He told you to rule and reign over this body. How do you do that? Executing the judgment of God. Okay, then he goes on to say, and keep all my commandments. Not some, all. And then he says, to walk in them. Again, continually. How long are you supposed to keep all the commandments of God until God makes it where you can't walk no more? And we're talking spiritually. I'm not saying if you're crippled by a fall like Mephibosheth, it means that you don't have to keep the commandments of God anymore. He says, keep all my commandments. Why? Because if it was right yesterday, it's right today. If God said it, it's forever settled in heaven. You can stake your life upon it. Not only is he the solid rock, but he gave you a solid playbook on what he finds acceptable and unacceptable. But see, commandments aren't necessarily judgments or they aren't necessarily statutes or laws. Commandments are just because that's what God said so. It's not right or wrong. But if God told you, Brother Brian, to go out and grow blue hair, right? I don't know how that would be possible. Okay? But if he told you to do it, he'd show you a way to do it. But if God told you to go out and grow blue hair, anything other than growing blue hair is not God's commandment. The only way to go out and meet the commandment of God is go do it. 
Okay, now that was a silly example, but sometimes they're very easy commandments. Are they laws? Are they statutes? Okay, is it one of them thou shalt not? No, but God tells you to go call somebody or pray for somebody. That's as much a commandment if the Holy Ghost speaks it to your soul. Just as much a commandment as thou shalt not kill. Why? Because God told you to do it. He says, walk in all my commandments. Just then what I perform my word. And what was that word? I will dwell among the children of Israel and will not forsake my people Israel. In other words, God said, if you do that, I'm moving in and I'm never moving out. If people want to find me, they'll know where to find me. I'll be down in my house. He's saying if people got a problem, they don't have to worry where the man of God is or where the prophet is or if he's going to be passing through town this day. No, they can come to me. And I'm always going to be at the same spot. You won't have to doubt where God is. God's going to be at God's house. But then, he says, that's if they do it. If they didn't do it, or if they stopped doing it, God was moving out. Because God only dwells among God's chosen people. But God chose them and then told them what they were supposed to be. If they didn't live up to their end of the contract, if they didn't keep his statutes, if they didn't execute the judgments, if they didn't do all the commandments and walk in them, then God's moving out. He said that he would never forsake Israel, but if Israel forsake God, he is leaving. As long as they were God's, God was going to be with them. But the moment that they started living like heathens and living like the world and doing what thus saith the Lord not to do, when they started becoming what they weren't supposed to be, they weren't God's chosen anymore. They weren't God's elect. They weren't what they were supposed to be, so they forsook God. And that's when God would move out of the house. But he said, as long as you're for me, I'll be for you, and I'll be in the temple on the top of the mountain. He says, I'll dwell there. Permanent. As long as what? As long as Israel loved God and followed after God. So, we've already talked more than anything else we're going to do. I know, it's Mother's Day. It doesn't have much to do with mothers. In fact, probably nothing at all, Brother Randy. But it has to do with your Heavenly Father. If you've got an issue with that, take it up with Him. But see, God tells Israel there's requirements. He says, I'm not impressed with the building. He said, I'm not impressed with how holy you can be. He says, I'm impressed with what I said. And as long as you strive to follow after what I said, even though you're not going to meet all the expectations, he made a way through Old Testament worship that they could become accepted in the eyes of God. Their sins would be pushed back for a year and forgotten. He said, if you do and you walk in all those things, then you meet all the requirements for me to dwell among you permanently. He says, but the moment that you don't do one of them things, the moment that you become defiled by the world or the moment that you forget my judgments and now you want to start living the way that you think is best. Okay, the moment that you forget what I said is right and wrong and you start trying to justify, well, this should be right and that should be wrong. Well, if that's not what God said, then it's not true. And it's about the commandments from as great as that shall have no other gods before me all the way down to that shall honor the Sabbath day. 
doesn't say not to do anything on the Sabbath day. It says to honor it and keep it holy for it's the Lord's day. Okay, God expected you to eat on the Sabbath day. Okay. Jesus said if a donkey fell down in the well, which one of y'all wouldn't go and haul the thing out of the well? Because it's the right thing to do. He says if you'd save a donkey, how come he can't save people? That was the analogy. They were trying to make and then he dumbfounded them again and they hated him and tried to get why? Because when he showed up he kept all the statutes. Right? He kept all the commandments. He did everything that was acceptable in the eyes of God and yet it was hated by man. See, God doesn't dwell in that temple anymore among God's people. You can go and find it. The only thing left is the wailing wall over in Israel. Some of a porch that was around the outside of it. Why is that? Because Israel forsook God. Jesus was God in the flesh and yet the world hated Him. Even the religious crowd that claimed to be of the people that were supposed to be worshiping in, in the priesthood during this time in God's temple. If it still existed, the Pharisees and Sadducees and the scribes, they all would have had offices right, or roles inside of the temple. But yet even those people, they hated Him. Why? Because they didn't want God to dwell among men. They wanted men to become as God. They wanted to be able to say what was right and what was wrong and what you should do and what you can't do. And they wanted the power. Even to this day, Israel has no permanent place for their God to dwell among them. It's going to happen one of these days, but that's, that's in the time of Jacob's trouble and tribulation, and we ain't going to be here for that if you're saved. But what are you saying, Brother Jordan? God don't just show up around here because he's impressed with us. God's not impressed with all the cedar woodwork that you've done and all the details. God's not impressed with how you, you know, gilded something in gold that God already made. If God wanted it to be gold in the first place, God would have made it gold. He made all the gold and he made everything else. But yet God told us to do it. Why? To see if we'd be obedient. God shows up when a couple of things happen. First, you've got to honor God. Why was Solomon going around checking all the trim work? He knew God wasn't going to be impressed with it. But we've already said it. He wanted to give God the best. I believe Solomon inspected every cedar beam that went up into the roof of that ceiling. If he saw anything wrong with it, he'd say, no, junk that one. That one's got a problem. We want the best. Why is Solomon going around and doing all the finishing work, all the detailing work? Why is he inspecting it under what their equivalent of a microscope would have been? Because he says, we need to make sure that we meet all of God's requirements. Right? God said to make it this way, we got to make sure it was done that way. Solomon knew he couldn't make God dwell in that house. He knew that he couldn't make God find favor with Israel. Solomon knew that there wasn't anything that he could do to help Israel outside of God's grace and mercy. But he says, there's one thing I can do, and it's make sure that everything meets the criteria. You say, well, Brother Jordan, I can't preach. I can't sing. I can't do this, that, or the other. Okay, okay. But you know what you can do? You can come out to worship. That's what this house was intended for. Come out and worship God. Well, how do you worship? Well, you've got to see all the details in your life. You've got to put the finishing touches on. 
in order to worship here, you got to be worshiping long before you come in them doors on Sunday or on Wednesday or during revival meeting or any other time. You've got to be in a state of worship long before you show up here in order to truly worship. How do you worship? You empty yourself of you and you fill yourself with Him and you come in and just pour out your best unto God. That's true worship. Well, you say, but Jordan, I can't do that. Yeah, you can. You know how I know that you can do that? Because He commanded you to do it. Which means He made you able to do it as part of that new creature. Well, you say, well, Solomon couldn't build a house that God was impressed with. No, and you can't live a life that God will be impressed with on your own. But you can be found acceptable in his eyes. What was acceptable? When they were obedient. He says, it's not about the house. It's about what Israel chooses to do with God. He says, you want God to show up and dwell among you? Follow after God. Reject what you think is wisdom and embrace what God says is wisdom. Reject your own judgments and embrace what God said. Well, I don't understand them. Well, I find that if any man lack wisdom, let him ask of the Lord, which gives to all men liberally. You want to know why God said to do it? Ask God. God will tell you. Get in his book and study it out. You'll find that he'll tell you exactly why you need to do that. But just because you don't understand it at the time isn't an excuse to not do what God said. He says, and keep all my commandments, the ones that you think are relevant and the ones that you think are irrelevant. He said, all of them. The ones that you think apply to modern day living and those which you think are antiquated. But God command, be ye holy. Don't know why we keep hitting on that in Sunday school every week, but it, God keeps putting it in my head. You know what God's expectation for you is? Holiness. You know when God dwells among His people? When God's people start getting holy again. Every now and then, right now, He'll just pull back the veil and say, hey, here's a little taste to hold you over. But He wants to dump out revival. Well, how do you know that? Because He keeps having blood-bought churches have revival meetings. If God didn't want to send revival, then churches that were following after God wouldn't have revival meetings anymore. But if God was done with us, we'd be out of here already. God wants to send it, so what's keeping it? We're not holding up our end of the negotiation. God didn't put more on you than you can bear. His yoke is easy and His burden is light. Right? He's altogether lovely. He promised that if you cast your cares upon Him, that He'd receive them and bear them. Why? Because He careth for you. God does a whole lot for us and He asks so little in return. But until we do that little bit that He's asked us to do, we really won't know what it's like for God to dwell among His people. We get hints and glimpses of it every now and then. What's that? Them's in mountaintop experiences right now. We've got to get away from the world and get up to the mountain and then God will show them that. Well, God says that He'll dwell among His people and will not forsake them. So long as what? So long as God's people follow after God. Well, you say, Brother Jordan, statutes and judgments and commandments, 
Those are real general and broad terms. Yeah. You know what it covers? Everything that God wants it to cover. But you say, well, I don't know what that means for me today. That's great. There's this person. Okay, his, his name's the Holy Ghost. Jesus said that he'd come and he'd lead and guide you into all truth. That means if you get serious and you start asking God, Lord, what am I actually supposed to do? Let's get down to business. What aren't you proud of? What do you find acceptable in your sight? Tear down them strong places in my heart, the bitterness, resentment, or complacency, or arrogance, or Lord, replace all them things about me with things in yourself. Then you don't get to the place where you're keeping judgments and statutes and the commandments. But you know what? All of those three things that God talks about, they're all choices. God didn't tell Solomon to go out and become an elephant. Right? He didn't say, hey, sprout antennas off the top of your head, Solomon. I mean, the Bible does say, can a leopard change its spots? Right? God doesn't tell you to go out and be something that you cannot be. God just tells you to love God and to follow after God. But why then is that so hard? Because the flesh hates God. And you're stuck in the flesh. But He also promised that that, that side of you that you feed more, that's going to be the one that's stronger. He promised to equip you that you'd be able to stand against the fiery darts of the devil. That you'd be able to stand against the enemy. You know what staying means? You don't fall. It means you're going to make it. Everything that God gave you is about permanency, resiliency, and commitment towards you. All He asks is that we be committed towards Him. We think we understand what love is, but we only love Him because He first loved us. We think we know what commitment is, but none of us have ever gone the extra mile up the Via Della Rosa bearing the sins of all generations of all time on our shoulders. Meeting every jot and tittle of the law. Doing everything to please the Father and then to die for all those in the crowd that were spitting and rejecting and plucking his beard out and buffeting him and denying him to his face. He's never asked me to do any of that. You know what he asked me to do? to be committed and follow Him. He said, take up your cross. Your cross is a whole lot lighter than Jesus' cross. He told you to pick up your burden. You know what your burden is? What God said it is. No more, no less. You can add more to your cross, but that doesn't mean that God put it there. If God put it there, can't nobody take it off. But if you put it there, you can take it off. But he's saying, Brother Jordan, you can't be committed towards God to follow in His statutes and walk after Him if you're being weighed down by things that God doesn't want you to have. Most of the time, Israel's problem was not that they didn't love God. Their problem was that they loved something else more. They loved people. They loved places. They loved all manner of things more than God. And what happens? When they forsook God, God always left. Why? Because he wasn't welcome in his own home. 
God didn't leave because God changed his mind. Israel changed his mind. You know what prevents God from dwelling in this house every time that we have service? Man, not God. It's us getting in the way of what God wants to do. Every service he wishes to dwell among his people. Well, if he doesn't, what prevented it? Something in one of these things called flesh. One of us. Because God's no respecter of person. If he did it last week, he'd do it again this week. If he did it four months ago, he wants to do it today. He wants to come down and dwell among his people to be known of his people. Now we know that there's internal fellowship with the Spirit, but it's just something special when God's people come together and God shows up in the midst at God's house where God ordained it all to take place, openly known among all men. Why does God want to do that? Because he loves you. Because he cares about you. Because he wants to help you. Because he wants to put fuel in your tank so you can make it to the next service or make it through the rest of this day just to get back tonight. God cares about you and wants to show up and let you know how much he cares about you. But he can't dwell because too many people have kicked him out of his own house. After this, you'll find that God so many times petitions to Israel and says, what did I do for you to kick me out of my house? What did I do that was so evil that you turned your back on me? And they were all rhetorical questions because God didn't change. Israel changed. Did you know that you could receive a daily devotion every morning in your inbox? Head on over to ibcflorence.com and click on Daily Devotions to sign up today. And as always, thanks for listening.